This is John Gunter with the Eagle Community Church of Christ in Mont Bellevue, Texas. You're listening to our podcast from the teachings at our church, and we are so happy that you found us. We want to invite you into this podcast that we just began a new series last week. We're, we're calling Stranger Stories. This is a unique spin, I think, on uh, just this season, this Halloween, October season, where everything's uh, cooling off and, and we kind of get into the holiday season. And uh, last week we talked about the stranger story of Jonah. This week we talk about some strange events in the life of the prophet Elijah. I think there's a lot to learn there, and I, I think it's uh, it's going to be interesting for you. So, again, we thank you for, for tuning in, and hey, come see us sometime. Uh, you can check us out at eaglechurchofchrist.com uh, to find out everything you need to know there. Thanks again. We'll see you later. All right. Good morning again. We're glad that you're here. Uh, you can begin your stopwatches, those of you who uh, who do that. I asked first service. I said, "Is it?" Uh, I said, "Is it after the introduction that you start counting time?" And uh, somebody spoke up and said, "As soon as you say good morning." So, so we've got that down now. We'll we'll start counting. Uh, so uh, thrilled to bring you this this series that we're going through in the month of October. Uh, we're we're calling it Stranger Stories. If I turn this on, it probably work a little bit better. Uh, Stranger Stories, and again, if you weren't here last week, and some of you may notice uh, the font and everything, that, that is from Stranger Things, a Netflix show, uh, sci-fi Netflix show, and uh, lots of fun. I, I enjoy it. It's about some kids that uh, the main character in, in uh, the first season is Will Byers, who gets taken. He goes down the wrong road. He gets taken into a world known as the Upside Down, and so the Upside Down world looks just like the world we're in, but it's very dark and dreary and things going on and monsters and things that you don't want to encounter. And so last week we talked about Jonah and how he kind of went into the upside down. He went into a place that uh, he probably didn't want to go. He didn't want to be opposite God. He didn't want to, uh, he probably didn't think of himself as, as someone who did this. He even says in that story, I'm a Hebrew. I worship the God who created all of this, the land and the sea. Uh, and so that, that's kind of the, the theme we're taking for this month. And today we're going to talk about the story of Elijah. Now, uh, and Jordan's going to have a uh, Days of Elijah uh, song here in just a minute, which is, which is perfect. Uh, but I don't know what you think about when you think about Elijah. Elijah's a very prominent character, and even into the New Testament, remember, Jesus gets mistaken for maybe he is Elijah because of what God did through Elijah. So this guy walking around doing these spectacular things Maybe this is Elijah having come back to us. And so this morning, just as we did last week, we're going we're gonna to cover a lot of Scripture. Uh, and, and so we're going to get the big picture. A lot of times we, we focus so narrowly that it's easy to miss the big picture of things. And so we're going we're gonna to do that. But to understand the story of Elijah, you have to start in 1 Kings 16 at the very end of it, uh, where the king Ahab comes into play. Now, Ahab may not... Uh, you, you may have trouble like, what did Ahab do? Uh, but I bet in just a minute you'll remember, oh, yeah, that guy. In the, in the 38th year of Asa, king of Judah, Ahab, son of Omri, became king of Israel. And he reigned in Samaria over Israel 22 years. Ahab, son of Omri, did more evil in the eyes of the Lord than any of those before him. You know, good guy. Uh, 
He not only considered it trivial to commit the sins of Jeroboam, son of Nebat, he also married Jezebel, now starting to click, daughter of Ethbal, king of the Sidonians, and began to serve Baal and worship him. Uh, any of you, your husbands ever call you Jezebel? Don't raise your hand. Like, like even today, like you hear Jezebel, it's not flattering, right? Now we, we've kind of, we go in, you know, cycles with names. And so we kind of have older names right now, I think kind of being popular, but, but Jezebel, and you may know somebody named Jezebel, but that, that name traditionally is something you kind of steer clear of. That is something not good. And so you, you see that here, he married this Jezebel who was an outsider. And every time a king or a ruler does this, uh, in, in the scriptures, it's not good. Because politically, you do this to secure good relations with other nations. But what it does to you spiritually is break down some walls that need not be broken down. We let in uh, worship to other gods or idols or all these other things because of this relationship, because I'm married to this woman now. And so it says he, uh, he began to serve Baal, and uh, I'll explain that. We've always said Baal. And I just, uh, the, the word there in Hebrew is, is probably Baal uh, is what that means. So if it sounds weird to you, like, what, is that an Arkansas thing? No, that's just a, uh, I think that's the, the correct uh, pronunciation. Anyway, uh, it says he set up an altar for Baal in the temple of Baal that he built in Samaria. So just a point here. Uh, Ahab is not sitting here, you know, with his hands clean saying, well, I didn't know what all they were doing. No, he is actively participating in this worship for this other God. So it's not like he was just king and, you know, well, you're responsible for what these people are doing. Well, he's responsible, all right, because he's actually building temples to this God. It is not just these people are going and doing stuff. He is actively participating. It says, Ahab also made an Asherah pole and did more to arouse the anger of the Lord, the God of Israel, than did all the kings of Israel before him. What a way to think of yourself right there, right? You made it. You're the worst. And that's who Ahab is. And to understand who Elijah is and, and his story, you have to understand that. You have to understand the evil that is Ahab and Jezebel. And this is the end of uh, chapter 16. In, in chapter 17, you get dropped right into Elijah's life, just kind of like Jonah last week. There's no intro. There's no, all of a sudden, here we go. And I'll, I'll show you this. Part one. Ravens. Ravens are spooky, aren't they? I don't know. It's just uh, just a part of this. Now, Elijah the Tishbite from Tishbe and Gilead said to Ahab, as the Lord, the God of Israel lives, whom I serve, there will be neither dew nor rain in the next few years except at my word. So this is all you get. This is the introduction to Elijah. There's nothing before it other than what we just read about Ahab. And so what you see is this prophet of God standing before this very evil ruler telling him, oh, yeah, by the way, I serve God, and there will be no dew or rain until I say there is. Can you imagine how Ahab heard that? I mean, he is the ruler of this area. He is in control. Uh, and that's not even to say what Jezebel thinks of it. And you've got this man who, you know, you're like, well, I could squash you telling you, no, there's not even going to be any rain. This is out of your control. Anybody not like feeling out of control? Yeah. Somebody else is in control of your fortunes? Ooh, no thank you. We're Americans here, right? I want to be in charge of that. Yeah, so I mean, he is not happy. 
Okay, and so, so what happens here? It says, then the word uh, of the Lord came to Elijah, leave here, turn eastward and hide in the Kareth Ravine, east of the Jordan. You will drink from the brook, and I have directed the ravens to supply you with food there. So he did what the Lord had told him. He went to the Kareth Ravine, east of the Jordan, and stayed there. The ravens brought him bread and meat in the morning and bread and meat in the evening, and he drank from the brook. Anybody relate to this? You, you, you ate, uh, ate some food this morning via raven? Like, you know, I didn't know what I was going to eat, and, and ravens showed up this morning, and, you know, I had a patty melt, had some of that pe- creamy pepper sauce on it. Like, I don't know what this looks like. But, but all we see through this is, is Elijah has a faith, a trust in God that, man, I, I'm just hearing it through my own voice or my own lens. Anybody else hesitant about going and, and <laughs> believing God on this one? Now, they're going to do what now? I mean, we got a lot of questions, right? But it says Elijah was faithful and goes, and God did exactly what God said he would do, that God would provide. And through this story here, you, you kind of hear echoes of Exodus, right? God's people, the Israelites, wandering through the desert, and what did they eat? Remember what that was? Manna, which means what? That's what it means. They didn't know what this was, but they were sustained by God through these little pellets of things falling on the ground. And so God is seen through this story as a provider. He is faithful. So he provided uh, water and food for uh, Elijah. Eventually, uh, because Elijah has just declared there is a famine, you know, these things are going to dry up. It does. And so uh, God has to tell him to, uh, to keep moving. And so that's what you get in part two of, of 1 Kings 17 is Elijah has to move on because of the drought. There is no more water. God says, go at once to Zarephath in the region of Sidon and stay there. I have directed a widow there to supply you with food. The the word supply uh, really just means sustain. Like you're going to have enough. You're not going to get there and and not have anything. I have directed a widow there to give you plenty. You'll be okay. So he went to Zarephath. When he came to the town gate, a widow was there gathering sticks. He called to her and asked, would you bring me a little water in a jar so that I may have a drink? As she was going to get it, he called and bring me, please, a piece of bread. Now, some of y'all, that sounds real familiar, right? Since you're up. And my, my wife would say, you got two legs of your own. You know, I don't know. Nah, she's, she's very sweet to me. But yeah, I mean, it just kind of sounds like, you know. Uh, and first of all, I just want to point out that, well, how in the world did Elijah know who this woman was? How do you know I'm, I'm going to this region? And this region of Sidon is not in Israel. So, uh, what you should know here in this story is that Elijah has gone outside of what people would have seen as, like, God's area. Like, this is not a, a, a place that is welcoming to followers of God. And so this woman is not a Yahweh worshiper. She's not a worshiper of God. But the reason he, or the way he would have um, identified her is probably she would have worn what was known as, a, like, a widow's outfit, like once you're in mourning over someone, there's a way you dress. And so it wasn't like, you know, he had to identify her out of everybody that looks the same. She probably dressed a little different. And he understood then, you know, he walks in the city and there she is wearing the widow's outfit. And so he, he asked, hey, would you bring me a little water? And as she was going, hey, would you bring me a little piece of bread? Now, I'm not going to ask you ladies what that response would be from you, what you would tell him. But look what she says. She says, as surely as the Lord your God lives, she replies, I don't have any bread. Quit asking. Now, only a handful of flour in a jar and a little olive oil in a jug. 
I am gathering a few sticks to take home and make a meal for myself and my son that we may eat it and die. Downer. <laughs> Elijah is told by God to go that there's this widow who will sustain him, that will take care of him, give him food and drink and all that stuff. He meets her, and this is her reply. I've got just enough for us to have a last meal of sorts and then to go on and die. I can't imagine what Elijah's thinking there, you know. Okay, well, what about that thing where God said he'd talk to her, right? We'll talk about that in just a minute. Elijah said to her, don't be afraid. Go home and do as you have said, but first make me a small loaf of bread uh, for me from what you have and bring it to me. And then make something for yourself and your son, for this is what the Lord, the God of Israel, says. Just to, I put that in red just to uh, make a point here. This is, this is going to be a test of faith. This is going to be a way that God is going to act. And Elijah's saying, when this happens, and it will, it is the God of Israel who I serve that is responsible for it. You're about to see something very special. Okay, so the God of Israel says, the jar of flour will not be used up and the jug of oil will not run dry until the day the Lord sends rain on the land. Now, what that simply means is God is going to provide rain again, which will help the crops grow and you will have more again. Right now it seems bleak, but God is going to send this rain. And then in that day, you know, then you will start preparing more. She went away and did as Elijah had told her. So there was food every day for Elijah and for the woman and her family. For the jar of flour was not used up and the jug of oil did not run dry, in keeping with the word of the Lord spoken by Elijah. Sometime later, the son of the woman who owned the house became ill. He grew worse and worse and finally stopped breathing. She said to Elijah, what do you have against me, man of God? Did you come to remind me of my sin and kill my son? So she has seen a very special miracle in the way that the flour and the oil just seem to be, you know, staying the same or filling up. They're not actually going away, right? And so she understands God is at work in this moment in her life. But now all of a sudden her son dies. He stops breathing. He is dead. And she thinks, well, this whole thing must have been because I know uh, I, I don't do everything that is right this whole thing must be about God teaching me a lesson and killing my son so you can see my sins exposed before me. And we try to, we think that way, don't we? When something goes wrong, we think, well, I, yep, I remember I wasn't really walking the, the right path. I may have drifted. You know, what's this about? We question, don't we? And that's exactly what she done. And so she thinks this whole thing has been kind of a ruse just for God to make a point in her life. And as, as spectacular as the flour and the oil are, now she has lost her, her precious son that lives with her, which is kind of negates the flour and the oil in her mind, I believe. Elijah says, give me your son. He took him from her arms, carried him to the upper room where he was staying, and laid him on the bed. And he cried out to the Lord, Lord, my God, have you brought tragedy even on this widow I'm staying with? by causing her son to die. So even Elijah has the same questions that, that she has or that you and I may have. God, why did you bring this about? He asked that question, a prophet, a special prophet of God. And notice what happens here. Then he stretched himself out on the boy three times and cried out to the Lord, 
Lord, my God, let this boy's life return to him. The Lord heard Elijah's cry, and the boy's life returned to him, and he lived. Elijah picked up the child and carried him down from the room into the house. He gave him to his mother and said, look at your son is alive. Then the woman said to Elijah, now I know that you are a man of God and that the word of the Lord uh, from your mouth is the truth. God took what was a very dire faith-testing situation and turned it into a faith-building situation. That she was on the brink of, you know, you don't see her turning to God in those couple of verses before, do you? You know, why is God doing this to me? To all of a sudden, now I believe everything you say and believe that what you say is from God and it's the truth. And so God is able to work through Elijah in this moment. And you see, you see Elijah, Elijah, Elijah is no longer questioning. He can present this boy back to his mother. Can you imagine the rejoicing that happened that day? Some of you can. I know you can. And so she, uh, she rejoiced and understands that what Elijah says is the truth. Now, for a lot of us, I think chapter 18 is what you remember about Elijah. Uh, this is the sacrifice. Everybody remember this? Uh, we're going to go through it. But yeah, this is, this is the one thing, especially from Bible class, that I remember about Elijah's life that's like, oh my goodness, that, uh, kind of just crazy. It's, it's, it's out there. It's, oh my goodness, what would I have done if I was there? So here's the story. Elijah again talking to Ahab. He says, now summon the people from all over Israel to meet on Mount Carmel and bring the 450 prophets Baal and the 400 prophets of Asherah who eat at Jezebel's table. Again, just another point Elijah is saying, you guys don't have clean hands in this. Uh, it's not just something going on out there. This is happening inside your house. You're having them over to eat all the time. You're close. People who are worshiping other, uh, other things. Now, I, I have been on Mount Carmel, and so I want to show you what that looks like. It's more like what we would call a ridge. It, it's bigger than Barber's Hill, you know, whatever we call it, which I still haven't seen out here, by the way. Uh, it's so flat, but... Uh, uh, this is Mount Carmel. Up in the top left corner, you can kind of see where you've got a little elevation, but it's more like a, just a big ridge of, of hills and stuff. So uh, I've got, I think, three pictures here. You kind of see that a little better there. So over here to the right is, is the beginning of the, the ridge of Mount Carmel. And it got like, you know, some shrubs and, and small trees and stuff up there. So this is a spot we don't, you know, know exactly where on the range that happened, but this is it. And I'll tell you what, it's kind of surreal to stand there and go, oh, my goodness, this is, this is where it happened. And so let's, let's talk about where it happened. So Ahab sent word throughout all Israel and assembled the prophets on Mount Carmel. Elijah went before the people and said, how long will you waver between two opinions? If the Lord is God, follow him. But if Baal is God, follow him. But the people said nothing. So the people have been just kind of apathetic. They have been going along with all of this, and Elijah challenges them. All right, listen, which one is God? Because you need to decide, and you need to put your whole heart into it, is what he's saying. Quit sitting back, quit wavering between two opinions. Which one's God? Choose it and serve him wholeheartedly. So he said, how about, how about we do this? He said, I'm the only one of the Lord's prophets left, but Baal has 450 prophets, which he's brought there, Ahab's brought. Uh, get two bulls for us. Let Baal, Baal's prophets choose one for themselves and let them cut it into pieces and put it on the wood, but not set fire to it. I will prepare the other bull and put it on the wood, but not set fire to it. 
Then you call on the name of your God, and I will call on the name of the Lord, the God who answers my fire. He is God. So we're going to set this test up, and which one ever answers, you know, we're both going to do our thing. Whichever one answers, we're going to say, all right, that's who God is, and we're going to serve them, right? We're going to serve him. Then all the people said, what you say is good. So even though the people have been apathetic, they say nothing when he challenges them. When he says, all right, we're going to set up this test, everybody's good with it. Elijah said to the prophets, Baal, choose one of the bulls and prepare it first, since there are so many of you. Call on the name of your God, but do not light the fire. So they took the bull given them and prepared it. Then they called on the name of Baal from morning till noon. Baal, answer us, they shouted, but there was no response. No one answered and they danced around the altar uh, they had made. So these people are doing everything they can to get the attention of who they thought was God. You know, <laughs> we'll dance, we'll sing, we'll, we'll do whatever. You know, some of you, you know, you, you've grown up Church of Christ, so when you saw dance up there, you know, <gasps> they did that. But that's what they are doing, whatever they can to kind of get the attention. Hey, we need you now is what you're seeing there, right? We need you now to shut up this guy who said he claims from, to be from God. We need to put him in his place. And so what happens here? At noon, Elijah begins to taunt them. So I guess you can, as a Christian, you can taunt people. Uh, <laughs> but maybe it's only in this circumstance. I don't know. But look at what Elijah does. He says, shout louder. Surely he is a God. And you hear dripping with sarcasm right here, right? Again, I don't want you guys to go to Scripture and read it very flatly. Surely he is a God, perhaps. No, no. Elijah's a person, all right? So he's going, surely he's a God, right? I mean, you're calling, you're dancing, you're whatever. Surely he's there. He says, perhaps he is deep in thought. You know, he's got a book open over in the corner. He's just not hearing you. You know, just shout a little louder. He said, or he's busy, or maybe he's traveling. You know, he's... He's on vacation. I do want to point out, uh, because the NIV here nices up what the Hebrew says, so when it says busy, what that word actually means is he's probably using the bathroom. You know, um, we, we kind of nice it up. So, uh, uh, can I talk to so-and-so? Well, he's busy right now, right? We're not going to tell you what it is. I'll tell you one time I, uh, I, I kind of had to get on to Katie because we took uh, a group of teenagers somewhere. I do not recommend that, by the way. Don't do it. So, so I was busy for a few minutes, and as soon as I got back, she in front of everybody was like, where were you? You were gone for a while. Thank you, honey. I was in the bathroom, okay? <laughs> but, but that's what Elijah's saying. You shout louder, dance around. Surely he's a God. I mean, maybe he's traveling. Maybe he's using the bathroom. Maybe, you know, he is taunting them. That's what he's getting in their face here. And uh, he said, maybe he's, a, maybe he's sleeping and must be awake, and you're just not loud enough. Can you wake him up? So they shouted louder and slashed themselves with swords and spears, as was their custom, until their blood flowed. They are desperate to get the attention of their God. I will cut myself. I will do whatever. I will scream, dance, whatever. It says midday passed, and they, count, they continued their frantic prophesying until the time for the evening sacrifice, but there was no response. No one answered. No one paid attention. They didn't wake him up, did they? Now it's Elijah's turn, isn't it? It says, then Elijah said to all the people, come here to me. They came to him and repaired the altar of the Lord. Again, uh, you see this out throughout Kings is when a new king will uh, 
come to power, a lot of times they will tear down altars to God and they will build other altars to Baal or Asherah or, or whatever is the case. And so Elijah goes to this broken down altar and he repairs it. It says, uh, which had been torn down, Elijah took 12 stones, one for each of the tribes descended from Jacob, to whom the word of the Lord had come, saying, your name shall be Israel. With the stones, he built an altar in the name of the Lord, and he dug a trench around it large enough to hold two seas of seed. He arranged the wood, cut the bull into pieces, and laid it on the wood. Then he said to them, fill four large jars with water and pour it on the offering and on the wood. Do it again, he said. They did it again. Do it a third time, he ordered. And they did it the third time. The water ran down around the altar and even filled the trench. So you know what, you know what he's trying to do here, don't you? Elijah knows what's about to happen. And he knows that when it happens, we like to kind of justify why it didn't happen, right? Like we're not comfortable with a lot, a lot of things God does. We're like, well, you know, I'm not sure that was God, sure that was coincidence. And so he, he puts water all over the sacrifice. He fills up. He's got the rocks uh, around there. He fills all of that up. There's water everywhere. So if that thing burns up, you can't say, well, you know, this happened. It is going to be a miracle from God. At the time of the sacrifice, the prophet Elijah stepped forward and prayed. Notice no dancing. Maybe that's where we get it, right? No dancing. No yelling. He says, the Lord God of Abraham, Isaac, and Israel, let, be, let it be known today that you are God in Israel and that I am your servant and have done all these things at your command. Answer me, Lord. Answer me so that these people will know that you, Lord, are God and that you are turning their hearts back again. His prayer is for those people to know that God wants to be a part of their life. That's his prayer. Isn't that interesting? It's not a prayer of, would you show all these you know, self-righteous people who've been dancing around cutting themselves, you know, would you show them I'm right and they're wrong? I mean, that's a part of it, but it's, God wants a relationship with these people, and that's what he's praying, praying for. It says, then the fire of the Lord fell and burned up the sacrifice, the wood, and the stones, and the soil. It even licked up the water in the trench. He left no doubt, did he? It's all gone. It says, uh, when all the people saw this, they fell prostrate and cried, the Lord, he is the Lord. He is God. Uh, the Lord, he is God. The Lord, he is God. So they chant that. Then Elijah commanded them, seize the prophet's ball. Don't let anyone get away. They seized them. Elijah had them brought down to the Kishon Valley and slaughtered there. Well, I don't know how comfortable you are with the slaughter there. But what you have is a, is a group of people who have dedicated their lives to worshiping uh, Baal. Now, these, these are not the same people that Elijah has talked to earlier and said, pick one or the other. He, he said that to the people, not to the prophets of Baal. So this is a different people. It's not like uh, he just killed everybody there. Actually, the people helped him. He said that, that's what he says is uh, that Elijah commanded them, seize these people, seize these prophets. And so they were bringing about this, this worship to this other God in this place. And God, Yahweh, God of Israel, has just shown himself to be God, whereas they couldn't get a response from theirs, right? Well, if you know anything about Ahab, you know anything about Jezebel, they are not happy. They go back, and Elijah is confronted uh, in uh, 1 Kings 19. 
by Jezebel. It says, so Jezebel sent a messenger to Elijah to say, may the gods, isn't that interesting? We have just had this big thing, and, and she's still, may the gods, she's, she wasn't there, even though Ahab comes back and tells her about it. May the gods deal with me, be it ever so severely, if by this time tomorrow I do not make your life like one of them. So you killed my folks, I'm taking care of you. And that's, that's the threat that he gets from on high there. Elijah was afraid and ran for his life. When he came to Beersheba in Judah, he left his servant there. So he's so afraid that even his servant that would be with him, like, no, I got to do this on my own. I got to get out of here. Well, he himself went a day's journey into the wilderness. He came to a broom bush, sat down under it, and prayed that he might die. I have had enough, Lord, he said. Take my life. I am no better than my ancestors. Then he lay down under the bush and fell asleep. Remember this from Jonah last week? Want to die? Lord, would you just kill me now? Now, this is a different kind here. Jonah's just upset and pouty and all this stuff. Elijah seems to, you know, he has shown great faith throughout the story so far, right? But in this moment of threat and, you know, getting run out of town, even though God has done all of these great things, his life is in danger. And at that point, he, he's kind of, it looks like, He's kind of looking inwardly saying, I'm no better than all of my ancestors. I just, I wasn't able to get through to these people. I'll just die right here. God, would you take my life? So then he lay down and fell asleep. All at once, an angel touched him and said, get up and eat. He looked around and there by his head was some bread baked over hot coals and a jar of water. He ate and drank and then lay down again. The angel of the Lord came back a second time and touched him and said, get up and eat for the journey is too much for you. So he got up and ate and drank. Strengthened by that food, he traveled 40 days and 40 nights until he reached Horeb, the mountain of God. There he went into a cave and spent the night. How many of you have ever watched Lord of the Rings or The Hobbit or anything? Okay, few of you. So you, you, I'm not just up here talking about myself here. This almost seems like uh, the elvish bread. Remember that from Lord of the Rings? So they've got these little pieces of bread and whatever the uh, thing is behind it that they can eat just a little bit and be sustained. That's what it seems like. Now, if you don't know this, Tolkien and C.S. Lewis were, were really good friends. So when you watch uh, Lord of the Rings or Hobbit or anything, you're, you're always watching with an eye like, is he fitting in some metaphors about Christianity? When hobbits and things fly on wings like, of eagles, is that you know a metaphor? Now, I think Tolkien actually says, no, I wasn't trying to do any of that. But it makes you wonder, you know, where did he get this idea? Well, God is providing, again, for Elijah this this just doesn't even make sense. This is miraculous that he is able to eat this and be sustained. So he shows up in this cave, and the word of the Lord came to him. What are you doing here, Elijah? He replied, I've been very zealous for the Lord God Almighty. The Israelites have rejected your covenant, torn down your altars, and put your prophets to death with a sword. I am the only one left, and now they are trying to kill me too. The Lord said, go out and stand on the mountain in the presence of the Lord, for the Lord is about to pass by. So again, Elijah's feeling a little despair and God says, watch this. It says, then a great and powerful wind tore the mountains apart and shattered the rocks before the Lord, but the Lord was not in the wind. After the wind, there was an earthquake, but the Lord was not in the earthquake. After the earthquake came a fire, but the Lord was not in the fire. And after the fire came a gentle whisper. When Elijah heard it, he pulled his cloak over his face and went out and stood at the mouth of the cave. Then a voice said to him, what are you doing here, Elijah? He replied, I have been very zealous for the Lord God Almighty. The Israelites have rejected your covenant, torn down your altars, and put your prophets to death with the sword. I'm the only one left, and now they are trying to kill 
me too. And I think I missed one here, uh, a, a slide here. But God finishes this, this conversation with Elijah saying, yet I reserve 7,000. Remember, Elijah thought, I'm the only one. God says, I reserve 7,000 in Israel. You know, you didn't just overlook a couple of folks. I reserve 7,000 in Israel, all whose knees have not bowed down to Baal and whose mouths have not kissed him. What a story. This is basically the story of Elijah. The only thing else you really get is uh, Elijah uh, kind of passing the torch to Elisha. This is, this is Elijah in the Bible. What do we get from this? Number one, I think we can say very safely, God will show up in your life. All throughout this story, God showed up when Elijah needed him, right? Even in the despair, God showed up. Now, how many of you, like, we're, you know, we may not be comfortable saying that, but how many of you have lived long enough, like, you look backwards to that time in your life, and you know, you can say without a doubt, God showed up. Like, in the moment, there, there feels like despair. Like, I don't know how, God, I don't know how you're going to get me out of this one. I can't see the way forward, but now on this side of it, we look back and say, thank you, Lord, you showed up. I didn't even understand it, but now I do, and that's what God did for Elijah. He showed up, and he was faithful to everything he said. Number two, God may be quiet, but he is not mute. Now, isn't it interesting in this story? You remember the, the conversation Elijah and God have, and he says, I have commanded this widow to sustain you, to take care of you. Remember that? I just read the whole story to you. Did it ever sound like that the widow understood that? <coughs> like she remembered that, that conversation with God where he commanded her to do that, right? Okay, that, that's right. No, she doesn't. But something happened. God is able to work on her spirit, and she goes along with what Elijah needs, but she doesn't have an awareness of like an audible conversation. Isn't it interesting that we have that example in this, and then we have when Elijah goes out into the mountain hiding, you have the fire and the wind and the earthquake, and every time Scripture tells you God wasn't in that. What was the end, folks? You whispered that, didn't you? He was in the whisper. And that's why I say God may be quiet in your life, but he is not mute. You may not hear an audible voice from God, but God is at work. And I believe that goes with number one as well. As we look back, we understand that God was working. We may not have heard even when God said, I, I commanded John to do something. Now, I've, I've got a situation I've shared with you all before that I felt like God commanded me, but I never heard it. I knew in that, that moment I had to go talk to my neighbor about coming back to church. I never heard God, but I knew I had to do it. I don't know how. Doesn't make me real comfortable saying that, I'll just tell you. But God is working behind the scenes. Don't, don't say that God is mute, that he's not working anymore. And we see him through creation. We see him through what he's done in our lives. Number three, you are not alone. You heard the despair in Elijah's voice. How many, how many times do you feel like, I'm out here alone, putting in this effort, I'm putting in this work, I, and we still feel like I am inadequate I can't do it. My sins are unique to me. Nobody else is having the same struggle I am. And you feel isolated. That's the way Elijah felt. I'm the only one. God said, yeah, 7,000. You know, you missed a couple. 
But how many times do we need to understand? We need, we need to share more testimony is what we need to do. We need to share more testimony about how God has showed up in our life. Because then when we're going through something, we can understand not only through our own experiences, but through others, how God will show up and take care of things when you didn't see the way through and you didn't know how that bill was going to be paid. You didn't know how you were going to get past that person who passed away in your life. You didn't know how you were going to make that transition in your job or in your uh, move into a different place or whatever the case may be, but God showed up and took care of it. You're not alone. But God is always there and you have people around. One thing that has truly blessed my life, my parents still live in the same house they brought me to, uh, brought me home to in 1982. And so all I knew was stability as far as that goes. I didn't have to move around or anything. So when I, Katie and I started having to move around, I was not happy about it. Like I, I thought that was a bad thing. But every step of the way where we have gone to a new town and we didn't know very many people or any at all, God has shown us very greatly that we are not alone in this and that we are blessed with other people who are trying to walk the same walk. So those, those days when you feel down and out and, man, I, I'm just here by myself. No, you're not. Because God is still working and he is still putting these people around you uh, we could have testimony about that this morning, couldn't we? The reason we're all here, the people who have influenced us. Number four, Elijah says, pick a God and serve. Now, I am guessing that none of you came in this morning and you've been worshiping Baal and you thought, well, I'll just give this other guy a try. <laughs> but how many times do we really pick something else in our life to kind of worship that? That our focus, that our drive is always focused on something else and God is more of an afterthought, you know. And Elijah challenges those people, quit being apathetic, buy in, put your heart and soul. If you're going to say he is God, serve him. Believe what you're saying, go in. Don't come out here and say, well, hey, he's God, you know, we all know that. I mean, it doesn't really change my life. No, he says, go in. Serve him if he is God. And that is what I hope and pray for our church right now. That we know people are coming to this place. They're moving to this place. We know that. And I hope and pray what those people find as they come into this community or people are already here, is they find a church who loves God. And not just in name that oh, I'm a Christian, but I'm really bought in. And I want to be, I want to be radical in the sense that I actually love my neighbor. I actually try to, try to love other people like myself. I actually want to put a focus on God in my life and all the ways that that affects me. But they don't find a church that's just, ah, okay, apathetic. Take it or leave it. Is that the church we are today? Is that the person you are right now? Because I believe all these things are true, that God will show up, that he may be quiet, but he is not mute. He is still working in our lives and that you are not alone, though you may feel it at many times. that we pick God and we do serve him. And so that's my question for you this morning as we offer an invitation just a second that you have chosen, I, I pray that you have chosen to serve God. And if you haven't, you need to make yourself right with God right now. Let's do it. Let's don't leave this place. Let's pray together, have the encouragement of all these people in this room who love you to walk side by side right there with you. If you haven't began, begun that walk this morning, you want to be baptized, we would love to do that. Be there for it, witness it, 
sing praises to God for. So if you have any needs this morning, uh, we're going to sing an invitation song right now. Would you come as we sing?